0: At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. Good morning. Hey, you know what's really cool? In the dark, I can see all of you have your... your phone's out filling out the connect cards way to go good job that's great hey um, Amy talked about melting snow uh, spring is coming that means Easter is not far away right um, let me just give you a quick snapshot of what's happening at North Point on Easter Sunday four services 8:30, 9:30, 10:30, 30 so somewhere in there that'll work with you right 8.30 and 10.30 are going to be mask mandatory all the way through the service, okay? 9.30 and 11.30 are going to be mask with movement, which is what we call this service, wear your mask in, wear your mask out. That way, hopefully, you can decide where that fits and we can create... Here's what we think is going to happen. There, I think that there are going to be a lot of people who have not been back yet, um, not been back to live, to in-person worship. and And... It, it's freaky for people when they come into this setting and see lots of people without masks if they've not been out. So that's why we're doing the, the two different kinds of services. Um, figure out where you want to be. Uh, if you end up in the service that you don't really want to be mask-wise, just do it anyway, right? Okay. Out of, out of uh, uh, consideration for the others, that will be a really cool thing. I'm, I'm so glad to be here today. How about you? good 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 hey our mission at north point is to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to jesus to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to jesus all people means that we care about people who don't know jesus and we're trying to help them come to a relationship with him move towards a life fully devoted to jesus means we want to help people take next steps we want to help them become disciples followers of jesus all people move towards life fully devoted to jesus cool stuff. Our vision, which is what we're kind of how we're living out the mission over the next couple, three, five years, whatever that is, is that everybody who calls North Point home would regularly be talking about how Jesus is working in their life in their sphere of influence. So, so that you, if you call North Point home, if you own North Point, you would see what Jesus is doing in your life, and you'd be talking about it with other people, um, the the people that you come in contact with. Um, Everybody who calls North Point home regularly talking about how Jesus is working in their their life in their sphere of influence. Own, see, share. Our series, uh, this NT90 series, as we read through the New Testament in 90 days, is all about coming to meet Jesus, uh, understanding who he is, and seeing the changes that he makes in our life, and that he asks to make in our lives as we follow, follow him. Today's message comes from the book of Galatians. We're going to get there in just a second, but it really is about the change that Jesus makes in our life. It's kind of like um, Jesus' extreme home makeover position, or uh, addition, position, addition, whatever it is. So, uh, so we're talking about what life can look like without jesus and what it can look like with him what he does um, the the book of Galatians is if you've been reading through the New Testament in 90 days with us, that's where we finished yesterday. We'll start Ephesians today. If if you want to just jump in, start reading Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians this week, and that'll set you up for next week's message in a really cool way. Um, the, the book of Galatians was written by Paul. Um, uh, his name in, in another language was Saul. Uh, you read about him in the book of Acts. It was r- this particular letter was written not to an individual church. Like last week, we talked about the letter that was written to the church in Corinth. This particular letter, in the Galatians, um, the letter to the Galatians was written to a group of churches in the area of Galatia. So not just one church, But multiple churches, they would get the letter, they would read it, they would study it, they would figure out what it looks like to live that out, they'd make a copy, they'd they'd send the original on to the other churches, they'd keep a copy and then um, take care of it. This letter was written, um, it was written early in history, it was written somewhere between 45 and 50 AD, that's within 15 or 20 years of Jesus' resurrection, that's a really, really short period of time. And it was written to address a problem that existed at that point in time that was, that was new and fresh. As the gospel went from the Jewish nation to the Gentiles, there was this issue that they had to figure out. Do you have to become a Jew in order to become a follower of Jesus? We look at that and we say, that's, that's silly, that doesn't make any sense. But if you look at it from a Jewish mindset, For almost 2,000 years, they had been taught, they had learned from scripture that God had chosen their people to be his children. They were God's chosen people. And there were signs that were associated with that. Circumcision was, was one of those things that said, okay, you're Jewish, you're one of God's chosen people. So now Jesus comes and he takes care of sin. He's the fulfillment of the Jewish law. And Jewish followers were saying, Oh, yeah, that's great, but they need to have that sign that we had as well. They need to be circumcised. They need to, to uh, celebrate the, the feast. They need to do all that stuff. And so there was this tension that existed um, that Paul addressed, and he said, um, do you have to become a Jew in order to become a follower of Jesus? And ultimately, his answer was certainly not. And the book of Galatians is all about that. It fleshes that out in very dramatic ways. Um, Paul says, following Jesus is not about a system or a set of laws. It's not about a bunch of works. It's instead about grace and freedom. Rather than having this to-do list of things that you have to accomplish in order to be right with God, you have the benefit of knowing that Jesus came and he took all that burden away. And that you can live in freedom, in grace that comes. Rather than having the burden to do right, you have the freedom that comes from, from doing right just because of love. Um, it really is there is, in this passage of scripture, there really is this before and after kind of, uh, thing that, that you'll see just as we read it. So if you've got your Bibles, take them out. Um, if you've got the app, open that up, find something so that you're following along. Cause I want you, I want you to check and make sure I'm not telling you anything that's not true. All right. Uh, this Galatians five, I'm going to start reading in verse 16. Paul says this, and again, it's in this context of whether or not you have to uh, be a Jew or not, you've experienced this freedom that comes from Jesus breaking the bonds of slavery and, um, and bondage. Um, Paul says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. Moses. Paul says, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is this ongoing battle that happens between our body and our soul, between our flesh, our our carnal nature, and our spirit, the part that God makes alive and the part that lives here on earth that wants to take care of um, what is best for us physically. I understand this battle really well because I see it in other parts of my life. I have always enjoyed eating. Who doesn't, right? Um, but this, this the the battle that exists in me is a battle between eating what's good for me at in the right amounts and eating what brings me pleasure, right? And eat, eating just eating for eating's sake. I, the, the first time I really experienced this was um, when we were first married. We had friends come over, um, and a good friend from college came. And he brought his fiance. We had never met her before. And so um, we're, we're young, you know, we're poor. We have a great meal. Well, what do you do when you're young and poor and you're first married? Um, we served grilled cheese and tomato soup. Good stuff, right? Uh, um, well, as we're talking, our friend's fiancée... Um, uh, our friend's fiance is just kind of picking at her food. Like, she's eating a little bite of grilled cheese here, a little bit of soup, not hardly anything at all. And as we're talking, we discovered that she's a, I think a nutritionist is what she was. And, that, and she said, I, I, no, I like it okay. I just eat to live. I, I only eat what I need to keep my body going. And um, kind of under the table, Deb and I are going, this is crazy. Because our friend was a big guy. And our relationship, our friendship was built on eating together, you know. We went to Skyline Chili in Cincinnati uh, as much as we could. As you go out for ice cream, we would sit in the cafeteria and eat and talk and laugh. Eating food together was a social friendship kind of time that was an event and it was fun. And she's saying, oh yeah, I just eat to survive. And we're thinking, how can this be? Um. Spoiler alert: They didn't end up getting married. Um, <laughs> uh, I, so, since that time, I realized, oh no, I like to eat, and i and so I've I've fought the battle of the bulge, you know, most of my life since that time, fighting this war between eating what I wanted to eat and gaining the weight that came as a result of that. About 20 years ago, I came to a conclusion that uh, it was a hopeless battle that I was never going to win. I, I remember consciously thinking I'm the biggest I've ever been in my life. I can't lose weight. I've tried to lose weight. Uh, it's just never going to happen. I'm going to spend the rest of my life being a bald, fat man. Um, and, and, and something incredible happened. Um, a friend of mine told me about a national weight loss contest that existed that was sponsored by Kmart. And the grand prize was $10,000. Um, we had five kids. We were living outside Washington, D.C., high cost of living, $10,000. All of a sudden, there was a motivation. And when I looked at it and thought, okay, who wins this contest? Because they had done the contest before. And I saw the year before, only 200 people had finished the contest because it's a 16-week contest. You had to lose weight periodically. Um, who? who 200 people only made it to the end, and I thought, you know what? If I lost what the winner lost, I, I, I think I could do that. And so I entered this contest, um, and and what started was this battle that existed daily for me, especially those first two or three weeks. It was like every day I'd get up and I'd think, I want to eat, I want to eat, I want to eat, um, and, and my mind would say, $10,000, $10,000, $10,000. Um, and and I would see my friends eating stuff, and I'd think I want that so badly, and my mind would say, "No, you can't have that. If you eat that, you'll be disqualified from the contest. You'll lose the contest." Um, there really was this war going on. Anybody ever experienced that before? Some of you, yes. Um, I know. I knew what would happen if I always if I did what I had always done. I wasn't going to lose any weight, there's no chance I'd win the contest. If I ate that piece of cake, if I ate that entire steak, if I ate that box of Girl Scout cookies, it would destroy what I really wanted. Both choices had consequences. If I said no to the food, I could win the contest. If I said yes to the food, I was going to be disqualified from the contest, and that was the source of that battle. That's what Paul describes here to the Galatian Christians, except that it's not about their physical health. It's about their spiritual health. He said that there's this battle that's going on all the time between our spiritual nature, the part that's guided by the Spirit, and our physical, our sinful, our carnal nature, Who are we going to listen to? Paul goes on in verse 19 and says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a battle going on inside us, and the stakes are high. If you give into the sinful nature, if you do what feels good, if you do whatever pleases you, the end result is going to look like those things that we just read, that list that makes you want to just take a shower, right? Um, If you're living that kind of life, you're going to be disqualified from inheriting the kingdom of God. On the other hand, if you live by the power of the Holy Spirit, something entirely different is going to happen. Just like I knew that if I ate smaller portions, if I ate healthier foods, if I exercised my self-discipline to run, even when I didn't feel like it, my body was going to change. It was going to get smaller. I was going to feel better. I was going to look better. I knew that my life would change for the better if I said yes to the right things and said no to the wrong things. I know it's a list of ugly stuff, but I want us to dive in and just spend a little bit of time at looking at that list that Paul describes as the desires of your sinful nature. Uh, Some translations call it the deeds of the flesh. The the first things that he lists are sexual sins. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Those phrases describe having a level of sexual intimacy that's reserved for the marriage relationship between a man and a woman who are married to each other. If you're dating, if you're doing things that should be reserved for married couples, that's exactly what Paul is talking about. Those phrases, those words in the original language include adultery, which means having that intimacy, uh, a person who's married, having that intimate physical relationship with somebody that they're not married to. It includes fornication, which means if you're not married, you're having that intimate physical relationship with, with anyone. It, um, it includes, the, the, it's sometimes translated, the words debauchery, debauchery, licentiousness, lasciviousness. Probably the most common word is the word promiscuity that makes sense in our language. Another word that it's translated sometimes is the word depraved. In everyday language, Paul's talking about lustful sexual pleasure. It has to do with living a life focused on sensuality with a lack of self-control and total irresponsibility. It includes what you're watching, what you're fantasizing about. It includes porn and books, telling or seeking out dirty jokes, double entendres, daydreaming, fantasizing about sexual stuff. And Paul says, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. The next couple of things that Paul mentions are spiritual or religious sins. Well, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Idolatry and sorcery. Um, idolatry, it's, it's funny for us because we think, oh yeah, those, those, uh, those uh, cultures that are not as developed, that have the statues, that put, put up, th- those are... Um, idols, right? That's what idolatry is all about. Instead, it's anything that you are so dev- devoted to that it becomes a major focus of your life. Anything that is fighting with Jesus, that's elbowing Jesus out of the primary place in your life, is an idol. It's idolatry. It could be your career, it could be parenthood, it could be a relationship. It could be your retirement or your health. It could be a sports team. It could be Netflix. It could be your leisure. It could be wealth. It could be safety in our environment. What's the second of the 10 Commandments? Don't have any gods before me. That's, that's what this is about. God says, I want to be front and center of your life. I want to be the thing that you think about. I want to be the one that you're focused on completely. And anything else is an idol. The word sorcery is sometimes translated in scripture as witchcraft. It, it, um, it, it means that you're using whatever means possible to try and attain spiritual power through anything except Jesus. That might be tarot cards, tarot cards, it might be Ouija board, might be horoscopes, might be palm reading, might be anything. Um, Black magic, dark magic stuff. Anything that tries to get spiritual power through anything other than Jesus. And Paul says, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul then rattles off a bunch of things that get lived out in, uh, in the relational arena of our lives. And it's an ugly list. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. The word hostility in in its root means an enmity, a hatred. It describes a person characterized who's angry with everyone. Do Do you know anybody like that? They just say, I'm an angry person. That's what, that's what they're talking about right here. Um, the, Paul, Paul's word where he talks about quarreling is a, a person who's characterized by strife and contentiousness. Um, the, the word is translated those things sometimes as well. It's a, it's a person who, f- who fights for the sake of fighting. It's a person who, when you say, oh man, the sky's blue, and they say, you're stupid, it's not blue, the sky's really black, anybody knows that, Right? It's the person who just wants to fight no matter what. Jealousy and envy are both in the list. And, and it seems like on the surface that those are b- similar kinds of things. And they are, but there's a difference. Envy envy says, boy, what you have, I, I want that. I want to have that car that you drive. Man, I want to have that. That house you live, I want that. That person that you're married to, uh, boy, I want somebody like that. That's, that's envy, okay? Jealousy s- says instead... I want what you have and nobody else can have it except me. Jealousy is much more malicious. It says, nobody else should have that car but me. Nobody else should have that spouse but me. That person that you're married to, I want them to be my spouse. That's jealousy. Outbursts of anger, uh, NIV translates fits of rage. It's a person who has an explosive anger that wreaks havoc and leaves carnage in the wake. The person just flies off the handle at the littlest thing. Their life is a continual explosion of hand grenades going off around them. Fits of rage, outbursts of anger. Selfish ambition is, um, you know, that doesn't sound too bad, but what that word really means is selfishness. It's a, it's a person whose life is characterized by them focused solely, solely on what's best for them with no concern about how it impacts others. It's like, I am the center of the world. And, and what I want, I'll get. What I need is what's most important. Dissension is, uh, describes a person who turns others to rebellion or, or suspicion. Division is people, is somebody who turns people on each other, that's all, all the time picking all the time trying to divide people and have them fight with each other. Paul says, "Anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God." He finishes his list with sins that speak to the, um, with, with a couple of things that speak to the sins of excess or addiction. When you follow the desires of your heart, the results are very clear. Drunkenness, wild parties, other sins like these. Drunkenness, um, he's, uh, don't miss this. Paul is not talking about having an occasional drink, but he's talking about getting drunk and living a life that's characterized by drunkenness. Don't miss this big picture from scripture. Drunkenness is a sin. We'll be reading this week from Ephesians where Paul says, don't get drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Hard numbers are, come, are hard to come by right now uh, during COVID because of the shutdown of restaurants and bars. But alcohol sales, if you read about it, have, rivens, have risen in the last year because of the pandemic somewhere between 20 and 35% nationwide. That's a lot. Online sales of alcohol has, has risen almost 300%. People drinking in their homes. Um, why is drunkenness a symptom of something being really broken broken in your spiritual life? Because if you're drinking to escape, drinking to forget, drinking to find comfort, drinking to deal with stress, drinking to deaden the pain, instead of turning to God to take care of that pain, you're living by your flesh and not by the power of the Spirit. Understand that in the original language that that even though it says drunkenness, it's not limited to alcohol. Um, If you're using drugs or cannabis or mushrooms or whatever to achieve that same result, that's what Paul is describing. The word in the original language actually applies to food too. If you're eating to escape, eating to find comfort, eating to to deaden the pain, that's that concept that's here. Uh, Paul says uh, wild parties, uh, orgies, revelries, carousing. It describes putting yourself in a place where you're trying to find an adrenaline rush to prove that you're alive, to prove that you have value, and to try and escape everything else. Paul says anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Understand that Paul's describing behavior that characterized the lives of people. It's not talking about somebody whose ox broke their leg and so they get mad as a result of that, they lose their temper. It's not talking about somebody who made an unintentional, hurtful comment that caused a relationship to blow up. It's not talking about somebody who stumbles accidentally on a website that's not appropriate. He's talking about somebody whose life is characterized by addiction, characterized by sexual immorality, characterized by blown up relationships. He's not referring to someone struggling with sin. He's referring to someone who's not struggling with sin. That's their pattern. The person that gives in in a way that it's easy to give in to eating the whole package of double stuff Oreos, right? What's the key to putting the sinful nature to death, not being characterized by the sinful nature? Paul says, the very first verse that we read, verse 16, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Don't miss, the Holy Spirit empowers us to say yes to God and no to sin. The Holy Spirit warns us. He's, he's the voice that's in our head saying, no, don't do that, don't go there, don't buy that, don't look at that, don't, don't open that website. That's the Holy Spirit, he warns us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy, you know, when we take that step and we're heading down the wrong path, it's the Holy Spirit saying, no, 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 don't go there. The Holy Spirit is the one who produces healthy guilt in us, who calls us to repent, who calls us back to God. And the Holy Spirit comforts us when we mess up, when we sin. How do you know you're allowing the Holy Spirit to have control of your life? It's when the deeds of the flesh, the desires of that sinful nature, become the exception instead of the rule. It's when the fruit of the Spirit becomes more and more evident in our lives and they become the rule and the deeds of the flesh become the exception. Verse 22, Paul says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. When we say yes to the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control there is no law against these things. When Jesus gets a hold of our life, when we let him have absolute control, here's what happens. Your life automatically starts to be characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It happens naturally as we say yes to Jesus. Just as natural as it is for a specific type of fruit to grow on that tree. It's in the DNA. More time with Jesus, more fruit of God's spirit. You don't have to force it. It's not like you have to say, oh, I've got to be more loving. Oh, I have to exercise more self-control. It happens naturally because of the time that we spend with Jesus, because of his place in our life. You know what's crazy? We're afraid of giving Jesus complete control of our lives. We're afraid of the changes that he might make in us. And because of that fear, uh, we, we don't go and think, I can make decisions that will result in love and peace and joy. We, we think, I can structure my relationships so that I'm kind and good and faithful. I can do that on my own. I have strong will. I have self-control. I can make my life better by myself. Let me just ask, if you're honest with yourself, how is that working for you? Because it only, only in our time with Jesus does it happen naturally. And it's not something that we have to create. You, you You may be saying this morning, you know what, I want that. I want love and joy and peace. I want kindness and goodness and patience. How do I even know if I have the Holy Spirit? Is that possible to even know that the Holy Spirit's living in me? Let let me just talk to you from scripture. In Acts chapter two, uh, Peter and the apostles are preaching to the Jews and and they preach and they say, Jesus was the Messiah, he's the one who came to save you and you killed him. And in verse 37, it says this, Peter's words pierced their heart. They said to him and to the other apostles, what do we do? We've killed the Messiah. Peter said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those who are sitting at North Point in 2021. All who have been called according to the Lord our God. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you've repented, if you've been baptized, your sins are forgiven and the Holy Spirit is living in you. Paul told us that. Our, uh, it's recorded in Acts, but Paul told the church in Corinth that as well. He said, um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, anyone that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new has come. To the church in Ephesus, he wrote, Now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. Along with the fruit of the Spirit, there's additional evidence that you've... That, uh, uh, along with the fruit, there's additional evidence that the Holy Spirit has control of your life. Verse twenty-four says this of Galatians five: Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Look at those words up there: Nailed the passions and desire of your sinful nature to the cross of Jesus, crucified him there. Crucifixion was a slow death. Not so much for Jesus because of the beating that had taken. But from the time a person was nailed to a cross, unless their legs were broken, they could survive up to four days suspended on that cross. To put your sinful nature to death is a difficult ongoing process, and we play a role in that. That's not something God does automatically. Those those are choices that we make. Um, If you've ever been to our house, if you know our house, we have a cement driveway that goes up to our garage, which is great, Um, and right beside that cement driveway, there's a gravel driveway that goes back to our pole barn. Every year in the spring, summer, and fall, there's a battle that takes place for me with that gravel driveway between the gravel and the weeds in the grass, right? Um, once everything clears up, I start to spray, put the poison stuff out to kill that stuff. And you know what happens? It doesn't, it doesn't evaporate immediately. It doesn't go away instantly. When those weeds and those grass are there and they've covered up the gravel, I spray that stuff and, and maybe some dandelions turn their heads up at, you know, within an hour or two. But it takes two, three, four, five days before that stuff starts to shrivel up. It takes a couple or three weeks before that stuff starts to really turn brown. And it takes close to a month before the gravel is really there and I can see the gravel again. It, and you know what happens another month or six weeks later? that grass, those weeds coming right back up. It's a constant process of crucifying those organic materials in that gravel driveway in order for the gravel to win and for them to lose. Um, My craving for food is real. You know, I feel the desire for sugar. It takes over my thoughts. It um, eventually takes hold of my actions if I don't control it. But if I want to lose weight, I have to crucify my desire for sugar. Um, why do I have a continuous struggle to lose weight? It's because I don't want to crucify those, uh, th- that desire. I cheat a little, here, a little here, a little there, and the grass and the weeds start to pop through the gravel. Before I know it, the driveway is full of grass. I've gained 20 or 30 pounds. It's only when my heart is fully sold out that I can lose weight. Um, as the weight loss contest progressed, I was doing great. I was eating healthy, I was exercising like a wild man. Um, I was losing a couple of pounds a week. I knew I was on track to, to be able to win the contest. I, I was on track to be able to, to get there. Um, you know what the most compelling part of the weight loss contest was for me? It was this, first prize was $10,000, second prize was $5,000. And as I kept making progress, and I'd see, I, you know, I'd, at that point, I'd lost 15, 18 pounds or whatever, I'd see a donut and think, I can have that donut. And in my voice, I would hear this, this, this thing that said, you know what, if you eat that donut and you come in second place instead of first place, difference between $10,000 and $5,000 that donut will have cost you $5,000. Is that donut worth $5,000? And the, an- the answer to that was no. So I wouldn't eat it. For us, we rationalize and we say, oh, that looks good. That particular behavior, that thing that Satan throws, it looks good. It'll be okay. And Paul says, if your life is characterized by giving in to your sinful nature... You're disqualified from inheriting the kingdom. Um, What was the end result of the weight loss contest? I lost 38 pounds in 16 weeks. It was a glorious thing. I felt great, looked good, my life changed. I didn't win $10,000. But I received a tremendous amount of benefit Understand that the stakes in the battle over whether our flesh or our spirit wins, the Holy Spirit wins, the, the stakes are high. Given into our sinful nature will feel good for a season, but the price is way too high. It's way more than five or $10,000. You may think you can never do it. You can never beat porn. You can't get out of that affair. You can't stop that same-sex attraction. You can't control your temper. You can't make it through the night without alcohol or pills or pot. Or you may think that your past is too ruined for the Holy Spirit to do anything with. Because of Jesus, there's an incredible redemption story waiting to be written in your life. Here's the greatest thing. You're not trying to beat other contestants for one prize, just like I was. Living by the power of the Holy Spirit is the prize. Knowing Jesus without all of the carnage of sin in your life, that's the prize. The prize doesn't just wait until heaven. Sure, eternity is a huge win, but the difference that it makes is now, it's a life characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's worth every choice that we make to say yes to the spirit, no to the flesh. Every choice that we make to say, Jesus, 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 change me. Um, let's just stop there, let's pray. God, we are, um, we are very aware of the battle that rages in us. God, we know that we are um, complicit soldiers in that battle, that we're the ones who make the choices. Lord, we come to you right now and ask for... Uh, a number of things. We ask that that for some of us, God, that you would forgive us and that you would give us a fresh start. God, that you would help us to publicly say yes to you in a way that we never have before. God, for others of us, we ask that you would heal us, that you would take us out of those deeds of the flesh list and that, that, that you would uh, help us to say yes to your spirit Yes, to you over and over again. And that you would grow fruit in us that we haven't seen for a long time. God, change us by the power of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.